want to start investing in real estate, but haven't taken the leap yet? Well, what's holding you back? Let's find out how real estate investing changed our guest's life. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Newman, and welcome back to the show with an awesome new guest, Dustin Heiner, who tries other types of investments, stocks, mutual funds, and other sort of businesses before he began investing in single family residences. He set out with a couple of goals. He didn't want to work for someone else. And like many of us, he wanted to be financially independent. He finally found his quote unquote thing after he began investing in single family residences. He tells me that he learned the ins and outs of investing the hard way. And it despite that all the lumps and bumps that he suffered in the beginning, investing in single family residences just struck the right chord. He survived and you're going to hear he definitely thrived. He retired from his job and is still investing in properties. He's here with us to share his experience. If you love making a profit, investing wisely, or you're just trying to figure it all out, you're going to definitely love this show. You can check out the course he mentions at financialresidency.com slash REI. Now let's jump right into the show with Dustin. Dustin, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I'm super excited to be here with you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's going to be super fun. I love talking about real estate and you are crushing it in the space. I want to dive in. So Dustin, for those that don't know, invests in single family. And when we typically talk about passive income streams and a lot of real estate comes out as being passive, and I think it's the furthest from the truth. I thought it would be really fun to have you on and to talk about how you look at deals and all the hard work that goes into investing in real estate, the stuff that doesn't sell on TV too well that they usually edit out to make it just look like, oh, and poof, here's like a brand new house and it's all done in 15 minutes. So I'm like really excited to kind of jump in with you. Could you kind of explain at least in the beginning why you got into single family real estate? Like why did you choose that over other forms of investing? It's mostly because I tried other types of investing and this was the only one that really I was good at. And uh, so I tried stocks, I tried mutual funds and all those different types of things. I've had many businesses, like actually had a restaurant before started a skateboard manufacturing business because my whole goal was to not have to work a job, not working for somebody else anymore and be independent, financially independent. And so I was trying so many different types of entrepreneurial type things and real estate was the easiest one and had the most longevity. And I didn't have to have an overhead of employees and things like that, which now I have property managers, which I don't have to worry about them because they're contractors Mm -hmm. basically. But anyways, I was doing so many different types of businesses, investing in stocks and even tried gold and all that stuff. And the easiest one for me was real estate rental properties. And I realized that if I own one house and it makes money for me over and over every single month, hey, why don't I try that? So I bought one house. And what was interesting is I was living in California at the time. And this was in, I think, 2006, 2007, when I first started. 
right before the crash. And in California, prices were ridiculous. I mean, it was horribly overpriced. And I couldn't buy in California to get passive income or cash flow. So I actually flew out to Ohio, hmm. found properties in Ohio, and started buying there. So bought one property that was making me, I think, like $350 a month, and then just kept building it from there. That's super cool. Yeah, I was going to say, if you were starting in California in 07, like you got crushed, which I did not think that was the way that was going to go. So that's good that you didn't and unfortunate for those that did. So you started off because this was something you were actually good at. And did you think that this was going to be like a super easy passive income? Or did you not know what you're really getting into when you started it? Well, number one, I didn't know what I was getting into. I watched an infomercial like at 2 a.m. on real estate yes. or whatever, for whatever reason. <laughs> They're always out there. And I went to their free seminar. It was like an hour-long seminar. Then they sold me and my dad into a $1,000 two-day seminar. Okay. Went to that, and it was like a fire hydrant of information. Everything from rental properties to wholesaling to flipping to tax liens. So much information that I could not apply any of it. And then after that, they said okay, now you bought into this. Now buy into this $34,000 course on how to do rental properties. And I said, I don't have $34,000. If I'm going to start, I'm going to buy that property and learn from my own mistakes. So I didn't know anything. And I just flew out there, saw the property, found a property manager who eventually started stealing from me. So that's a whole nother ball of wax. Oh, things man. Like. So that was rough. So I didn't know anything, but through the school of hard knocks, I figured out how to do the business right. This has been 12 13 or so years now of doing this. And in doing it, I've developed a system that really, as I implement it into my business, I realized that there's a lot of work in the setup. And the easiest part of this business is buying the property. Anybody can just find a seller, go up to them, hey, I want to buy the property, buy it for however much they're asking, maybe try to talk them down a little bit, and then try to fix it up, get a property manager, and put a tenant in there. Well, that's the easiest part because the harder part is setting up the business. And that's something I had no clue of how to do. Now, since then, I've done it so many times now that I've narrowed it down to a science. It's not hard, but it is a simple process once you know what to do. Because I did everything wrong. I even bought properties. I was like, I way overpaid on properties. I bought properties that I actually had to update the entire electrical system because the oh, county boy. code said... Electricity is off for over a year because this was a vacant property back in like 2010, mm -hmm. you know, all the foreclosures and everything. So I bought the property. The county came in there and did an inspection, said, hey, it's not up to code. You got to do the entire thing, bring the entire system up to code. So I like 3,500 bucks on that one property just for electricity, things like that, that I had no clue what I was doing. Oh, well, and now I'm where I'm at now, which I quit my job and I just invest in real estate. $3,500. I feel like you got off a little easy too. Cause like yeah. doing all electrical to bring it up to code. I mean, that could have been way worse. So you've got a system now in place because you've been doing this long enough. And where I kind of want to take this is in the beginning, a lot of the people listening have heard you can make a lot of money in real estate. More millionaires are made in real estate than anything else. Real estate's easy. It's all passive income. And I know that that's the furthest from the truth of it is not easy there's a lot of work that goes into it and a lot of due diligence and you've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I think so have I and pretty much everyone else that's invested in real estate. If you were just starting out knowing what you know now, what would you have wanted to have been told or at least been aware of before you embarked on this journey? A few things. Number one, the easiest thing that I can say is if you're a physician, you're going to go to school, you're going to get taught how to do things, how to actually do it right. Or, you know, if you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to go to school or just any job in general, you're going to go get education. I did not do that. And so when I was building my business, I spent at least tens of thousands of dollars, maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars in money spent 
either through evictions or repairs that shouldn't have to have done, like the electricity and all that sort of stuff, if I would have bought the right property. I spent so much money because I didn't know what I was doing. And if I would have got education beforehand, like somebody who could mentor me or somebody that can walk me through the process, that's one big one. Other things that I wish I would have known is really how to find the right people to run my business. Like I said, my property manager, my very first property manager, you know, I flew out to Ohio. I saw the area. I found a couple properties. I bought one property, put a property manager over it, but I had no clue what a good or bad property manager was. And like I said, in the very end, she was stealing from me. There's a long story to that, but then I fired her as quickly as I realized, man, she's stealing from me. Fired her, found a good property manager, and since then hired plenty of property managers. Now I know the questions to ask. Now I know what to listen for, what to look for, and really who to work with. I say that when I know many people also manage their own properties themselves, Mm -hmm. but I personally hate managing properties. That's something I do not want to do. I love paying other people. And here's a little tip I'll give everybody. You probably already know this, but if you buy a house and you think I'm going to manage it myself, eventually you may need to hire a property manager to actually manage the property for you. Now, the downside would be is if you didn't account for that beforehand, before you bought the property, and then now you have this added expense. What I would suggest, the tip that I give to everybody is even if you're going to be managing yourself, imagine that you're going to be paying yourself 10%, just like you would pay a property manager 10%. Make sure that's accounted for in the numbers before you buy the property so that you have that accounted for. Let's say, you know, God forbid something happened that you just literally cannot anymore or you move or whatever. You have to get a manager. You don't want to start losing money in the back end because now you have to hire somebody else to watch the property. Yeah. And you're mentioning 10%. So everyone should know that's 10% of rent is what you are going to pay your property manager. You're going to pay them a percentage of rent. 10% is very normal. I actually pay our property manager a little bit lower because he's actually the broker for my stepmom. She's one of the agents at Remax. And so it's kind of like a family connection, if you will. But even then it's still 8%. So there's that kind of wiggle room in there that you need to be able to put into there when you're analyzing those investments. So like vacancy is a big deal. Oh yeah. Single family, you usually earmark about 5%, but 5% is not normal because it's going to sit vacant for more than likely a month and you're going to be without income. I tend to be more conservative in that stance. And I usually use 10% as my my factor. I just want to make sure that when I buy the properties that not only am I putting a manager in, that I'm making sure that repairs and maintenance are correctly allocated and that I'm building some cushion within there. You make money by buying the right property, not by when you sell it. Technically, that's when the cash exchanges, but I think the value is made when you purchase real estate. You mentioned that there were some questions about the property manager's that you kind of know are the right things to ask, the right things to look for. What are some of the things that you look for in property managers? Two things. Number one, when I talk to them on the phone, I get a sense that, and I read into either their mannerisms, how they respond and all that sort of stuff. Do I get a feeling that they're trustworthy? Now, a lot of people can pull the wool over your eyes. I completely understand that, but that's when you start asking questions. So just when I start talking to the person on the phone, do I feel like they're trustworthy? But on top of that, or included with that is, is this somebody that I feel like I can work with for 10 years from this point to 10 years from now? I don't want to change property managers every year. I, I want to have somebody that's going to be in there year after year after year where I don't even have to think and I don't have to get a new property manager. 
can I work with this person? Not a day in day out basis, because you're not going to be talking to them. Hopefully months will go by and you're not going to talk to them because they're running the property well, as you set up the criteria for them. But can you actually work with them? Well, that's a big question. Other questions that really come up is how they actually run the property management business. I'll give you just a broad overview. There are some specific questions that you can ask or that you should ask, but the broad overview is how do you handle tenants? Like imagine there's a 2 a.m. phone call. Everybody always has an example of a 2 a.m. phone call of a toilet leaking or something. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that situation or how have you handled that situation? Like basically giving them a scenario and asking them how they would handle that. Now, you got to obviously know how your business is going to be functioning. You know, if they're just going to put it off for a day or try to get back to it, you know, like 24 hours later or whatever it might be, you have to have the understanding of how your processes are for your business and make sure that property management lines up with that. How they would actually manage the property is a big one. Another one is the type of fees that they're going to charge. There are property managers that will charge if the property is not rented, like they'll charge you maybe a $50 management fee just if the property is not rented. And I say, tip for you, I absolutely negotiate that out or I move on to somebody else where I say, I'm not going to pay you 50 bucks if the property's not rented. Your job is to make sure it's rented. I've asked property managers, I've asked them the question, what's the incentive for you to actually get it rented if you're charging me 50 bucks? And I say, well, you'll find somebody else. I'm like, well, I'm already going to find somebody else or you're going to take that out because I'm not going to pay for that. Same thing like what you said, Ryan, I negotiate the property management fees. I try to get them to come down. Another big one is leasing the property. That's something that we don't always account for. And sometimes, or I would say sometimes, probably majority of the time, the leasing agent or the property manager is going to want the entire first month's rent. So imagine if you're renting a property for $1,200, that's $1,200 off the top in that one year's income. And then they might have releasing fees. Once the year is up, they're going to release it to that same tenant. They might charge half of that. So it's still, that's income taken out of your pocket. So you got to watch for those sort of things. When I boil everything down, there are many questions about policies and procedures, how they run their business, but then also the fees and what they're going to charge as you're working with them. And here's one big key that I'm going to give everybody. If you're going to be calling up a property manager and you're going to be talking to them before they have your business, if they're horrible about calling you back, if they're horrible about treating you like, hey, this is a potential customer, like I want to make sure that they're taken care of. If they don't have the, you know, their best foot forward the entire time before you're their customer, Imagine how it's going to be when they, that you are actually their customer. It's going to be even worse because they're already making their money. So I always try to find somebody who has really good communication skills because I have an issue with my property and it goes day after day after day, if not weeks without hearing from my property manager. That's horrible in my mind because I live thousands of miles away from my property. I better get to know what's going on right away, if not 24 hours or less. Completely agree. If, if they're horrible at calling you back or responding or their emails are super short and it's not like they're giving you the time of day, like move on. Doesn't matter what their price is. You're going to have a horrible experience and changing property managers is not fun, is not a pleasant experience. So you don't want to end up doing that multiple times over. You want to work with someone long-term. And I totally agree. I would never pay someone 40, 50, 60, whatever it is a month that it isn't rented just as their minimum fee. I'd be like, go and find me a renter. That is your job. And to keep that renter happy, and to make sure the property is performing, not to collect a fee because you haven't done your job well. I have never paid someone a leasing fee that was the whole first month's rent, though. I would always negotiate that down. I think I paid a flat fee of a couple hundred bucks, and then a release fee of the same amount. Because if you found me a good tenant, 
that has done a good job and they haven't beat up the house and they've been easy to work with and we want to re-sign them and look at market rents, maybe increase a little bit. I'm happy to pay you that flat fee because you found some high quality tenant, someone that is really good that's going to take care of the house. Why wouldn't I reward you? Makes I completely sense. agree with that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And every bit of this business, when you're investing in real estate, from buying the property to negotiating with the seller to property managers, contractors, roofers, plumbers, literally every single person, you have the ability to negotiate, which I strongly recommend. I do it all the time. Like all my students, I help them. I encourage them. If your offer offer on a property doesn't make you feel like, oh, this is a little low. If you don't feel like that, you're paying too much. So you want to come down. Yeah. So another tip I have for that leasing fee if they have to charge or they, they're going to charge you, because you might find an area like in Houston, one area that I invest in, every single property manager and every single leasing fee or for leasing agent for leasing fees is one month's rent. And so I've tried to talk them down, but literally everybody, like they stick to that. That's like something that they hold on to very uh, tightly. Now, what I did though, is I said, okay, I'm going to pay you one month's rent. You need to guarantee me 100% guarantee me that they're going to stay in there for one entire year. And if they get out before that one year is up, you're going to lease it again for free because I've already paid you that one time. So that's a tip I'll give you guys. I like that one to be able to make sure that it's still there. That's uh, a great idea. Now that we've kind of gone into the property management side and we've talked a little bit prior to that on it, when someone is looking at including real estate in their portfolio and they're hearing that it's passive and that it's easy, what are some of the other things that have come up to you that you were like, wow, this is a lot of hard work or wow, people should know this before they get into this. The things we just talked about are really the only, well, here's the biggest thing that I'm gonna say. The hardest part of starting a business in real estate rental properties is creating the business in the area that you're gonna be investing. Buying the house is the easiest part. And so getting into it, if you're gonna do it right to where you want it to be passive, it takes a lot of work to build that business. Let me give you an example of what it's like. Imagine you're gonna build a store. You got a commercial lease for a location and you're gonna build a store that's a general goods store. You have convenience, food items, all that sort of stuff. Well, you set up the entire business, all the infrastructure, everything about the business to make sure that it runs well. You got your merchant account, you can take money, you have your bank account, you have your inventory, you have suppliers, you have all these different things running the business. The last thing is actually getting the inventory like let's say it's a candy bar, putting that one candy bar in your store to sell. That is the picture that I like to share with all my students that the hard part is setting up the business. And every single property that you buy in that business is like another candy bar that you put in there as a part of your inventory. So what I suggest is if you're investing out of state, you narrow down to one city and in that one city, you build that business, you build that convenience store that's going to be running itself. And that takes a lot of work because you got to find the right people to work with, make sure you negotiate the right prices, you have everybody set before you start actually buying the properties. So you basically have your entire store ready in that city. And another property is basically just another piece of your inventory that you rent out to somebody else. And so that is the hardest part. And I have had students who they get so gung ho and they're ready to offer on a property and say, hey, Dustin, what about this property? This looks great. This is the amount of income. My first question to them is, what does your property manager say? And more often than not, they come back and say, oh, I haven't asked. I'm like, do you even have a property manager in that area? I'm like, no, we haven't actually interviewed. Well, stop looking at properties. Now you know this is a good area. 
Now start building your business. Once your business is set up, which is a lot of work, that's where the hard work comes in. That's when you start putting your inventory into the business. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I love the analogy. I think that's a great way of looking at it. And so when we're looking at the business piece of this, not the acquiring a rental, but like the business piece, what are some of the other tips or tricks that you could give someone? Because I know like for us, I manage our rentals and the business side of it, I've gotten it fairly automated now with paying HOAs and paying in Vegas. We we want to hold the trash in the sewer in the owner's name because they can lean the house for those things. So we want to make sure those are paid, but those are automated. What are some of the things that you've seen when you're building the business to help that automation occur or just keeping track of the rentals once you have more than one? I'm a frugal person in general, even though I have lots and lots of properties. Praise the Lord, we got plenty of money coming in. We have plenty of money. I'm still very, very frugal because I started with only $17,000. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any debt, which is great, but I didn't have any money. My wife had some money when we got married. Her parents gave us a little bit of money. So we had $17,000 total after I saved up a few more months. And I bought one property with that. And I just kept building after that. And so I started with no money. I started being very, very frugal. And that's where it's got me to now, where I'm still very, very frugal. I mean, I'll fight over 10 bucks. Like I'll negotiate $10 just because I know that's just a part of me. So the question you ask, you know, the business parts that you need to set up. Number one, if you're going to be managing yourself, which I'd say it's not bad. I would much rather have a property manager because then I can play with my kids. I can go do whatever I I want. I totally agree with that one. Yeah. If you are going to manage it yourself and actually have money coming in and out, there's a free software out there and I'll give it to you that I absolutely love the software. I do manage a few properties of my own just because I know them so well and the tenants are fantastic. It's called Cozy, C-O-Z-Y. So if you go to the website is cozy.co, not C-O-M, but cozy.co. It's a free property management software, handles all the background checks, handles basically all the income and expenses all that sort of stuff. It's really, really good. Now, another thing I'll give you that's really good for free are two different ways to find properties. I usually only tell this to my students, but I'll give you one really good one to find wholesalers. Wholesalers are fantastic. They're just like realtors, in my opinion. Now, don't tell realtors I said that because they'll get upset. But uh, (laughs) wholesalers, they they find buyers and they find sellers and they match them up and they work hard for their money. Wholesaling is not easy. People ask me, well, how do I find wholesalers to get on their list so I can get off market deals, pay less for the property and all that good stuff? And I said, you're absolutely right. I've bought many properties from wholesalers. Here's a tip that I will give you. As you're driving around, when you see those bandit signs, you know, those little cardboard signs that say, I buy houses fast and cash and that phone number. Well, that's a wholesaler. You can literally get on the phone and say, hey, my name's Dustin Heiner. I'm an investor in this area and I would want you to put me on your buyer's list. They'll say, yes, absolutely. I'll put you on there and you'll start getting emails. So that's one way to do it. Now, here's another way to do it. If you are out of the area and you're starting to invest in, let's say you're in California, you're investing in like Tennessee. Well, what you want to do is go on to Craigslist. If you go on to Craigslist and you look up different properties, like all the different properties that are for rent in that area and all the different properties that are for sale in that area, find numbers that are very, very similar. You know, if you find three listings that are different listings that have the same phone number, well, hey, that might be a wholesaler that you can call up and contact. So those are a couple of tips that I can help you to really start moving in your business pretty quickly. Yeah. And in the beginning, you won't need to be hunting down wholesalers and trying to figure all this out. You probably are going to go through an agent, especially if it's your first deal. Look at the deal on the MLS, which is not going to be the best deal you can get, but it's something to get you started. 
once you start getting established, if this is something that you want to invest more in, I absolutely agree. Like trying to find a way to get off market deals is going to be best because money again is made when you purchase the property. Absolutely. If you're able to purchase it from someone who had put it under contract and is assigning it to you for a $5,000 fee, but it's still way below what you could get it at market. Great for you. That's awesome. You're likely going to make money if you have underwritten it properly and your numbers are correct and all that. I know that as the markets appreciate, it's a lot harder to find those deals. Just remember, like, don't stretch to get into property. Markets move in cycles. And right now we're in an up cycle. At some point we will be in a down cycle. And that's when I would say, if you're thinking about getting into real estate, wait for the price points to come to you. Don't stretch and try to get aggressive because that's how a lot of people get in trouble. Yeah. And even though I started investing before the crash and everything you said, Ryan, I 100% agree with you. What I did was I bought properties that I made sure made me $250 or more in passive income, including the mortgage counted in as an expense and property management fees, taxes, insurance, vacancy factor. I only bought properties that I knew as best I could before I bought the property that made $250 or more. So that's a huge tip I'll give to everybody. The way to not lose your shirt in a property. And just like you said, Ryan, prices and markets and economy, they go up and down. There's cycles. You might buy it at a high time, but over year after year, it eventually goes back up, if not goes beyond it. So over time, we as investors, we know that the market will go up. Like the price of that home, the value of that home will go up, but we don't invest in people who are actual just investors. We invest in cash flow. We invest in that $250 or more coming into our pocket because the reason why I did not get hurt bad in that crash was because I wasn't investing for appreciation. If it only made $100 a month, play that out. That's only 12 months of $100 a month. That's $1,200. Well, if you have a roof leak and you have to fix the roof, well, there goes your entire yearly income from that one property. Now, if you have $250 or more, you're going to sit much, much better and be able to weather that storm of any big issues that come up. And if you're looking at properties on the coast, like in California, let's just say in the coast, I'm meaning like in terms of the whole state, if we're looking at properties in California, it's really hard to cash flow and to find properties in California that will make sense, especially in the bigger areas like LA, San Diego, Orange County. Those are just really tough. You move out to like the Midwest, like you were in Houston, Kansas City, St. Louis, like you're going to find better deals there, but they don't appreciate as fast as the states and cities that hit the headlines, right? California, the prices are appreciating a ton and you're thinking like, oh, I should invest there. But it's really, really hard to make money there because you're not cash flowing, you're banking on appreciation, which in my opinion, isn't investing. That's basically just gambling. You might as well go to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> what Dustin's talking about and what I like is looking for properties that cash flow every month. My criteria, it maybe isn't as strict as Dustin. I know Vegas really, really well. And I'm comfortable making like $150 a door because I have very, very strict guidelines for when we buy a house, what we're looking for. And we're making sure that all the maintenance is done. We do lots of inspections. I still have some inflation inside there because Vegas is going to move more than, let's say, Kansas City in terms of the housing market. But it will still make me money every month. And that's what we're shooting for. You're not shooting for the big home runs. You're shooting to hit singles and doubles. Yes, absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree with you. And 
And the reason why I give the $250 minimum is because I do this for a living. Like I also coach, I tell people how to do it. And I want to make sure that they're going to do their best to get as close as they can to be very, very successful. I have friends who actually invest in real estate that do $100 per door, which, hey, that works out great. It's a different, um, they're buying a little different homes that are either more expensive and there's not as much maintenance and all that sort of stuff. So completely, completely agree with you. And on top of that, what I found when I invest in rental properties, what I do is I built up my business so much, like basically have so much inventory now, all my income comes in and I literally don't need a job. My savings continue to grow. I continue to build my business and I just live on all the rent coming in from my business. The people that come to me as students, they're wanting to change their life. They're wanting to quit their job. They want to have more time and more control over the life, be financially free, all that sort of stuff. And I say, this is how you do it. It takes time though. And a lot of people say, hey, I want to get rich quick scheme. Well, if you want to get rich quick scheme, this is not the right way to do it. This is a get wealthy plan that's going to be a slow plan that you implement year after year. And in hopefully 10 years, you're going to have enough income to replace your income or just have enough to you know put your kids to college and all that good stuff. It's definitely not a get rich quick. And I still fight back on, yes, it's technically mailbox money or passive income, but there is so much work that is involved in these things to get it set up, to do it right, to do the right analysis, to make those connections, to stay on top of the property manager so they're not stealing money. There's just a lot of moving pieces that go into real estate and investing in real estate. I just want people to be aware because I've mentioned it a lot on the show. I do love real estate. Obviously, as a financial advisor, I want you to max all of your tax deferred accounts and to do all the right stuff. But then at the same token, if you are a more aggressive person or if you do want to seek and spend a little bit more time and effort in your investments and real estate is something for you, that's awesome. Go and do it, but just make sure you do all your due diligence and know that it's not a get rich quick thing. It does take time and effort and a real drive to make it work like a business because that's what it is. It's not a, I bought this mutual fund and now I let it sit there forever. This is active. You can't just be like, I bought a house. Okay, it'll take care of itself. It just doesn't work that way, but it's really sold that way. You know, HGTV has not helped that problem at all either. No, it hasn't. In fact, it made everything worse in my opinion because now there's more people buying property. So supply and demand makes prices go up. Oh, well, now here's one thing that has come up recently is that millennials in general, not saying all, but millennials in general don't really want to own homes anymore. You know, they grew up and they saw, you know, in 2007, eight, nine with the crash and everything, they experienced that with their parents. So they're now like thinking, why in the world would I ever own a home? I'm going to rent. I'm going to uh, maybe get a tiny home. I would get anything other than owning a home. But for me as an investor, I'm so excited because I have so many more people wanting to rent, but then so fewer people wanting to buy. So supply and demand, hopefully prices come down, rents go up because there's more renters, all that sort of stuff. So I'm really excited about this next generation. And hopefully they might want to wise up and actually buy a home. In my opinion, that's a huge benefit is buying a home. I'm just ready because if that's the way the trend goes, I'm going to capitalize on it. I think it goes both ways. So a home, your primary residence, I don't view as an investment, especially when you overextend, you buy the home of your dreams, the million dollar mansion that's 6,000 square feet and costs a lot to run. It costs a lot in taxes and it's not generating any income. Now you are earning technically equity over time and everyone's got to live somewhere, which if millennials don't want to buy houses, fine. They still have to live somewhere, whether it's an apartment, whether it's renting a single family home from someone like Dustin, they're going to have to live somewhere. 
it's pretty safe to say single family is going to be here to stay. Like there's nowhere else that they're going to go. But I would be careful to say like everyone should own a home because it's a good investment because I don't want you to go out and buy the doctor house that uh, is (laughs) 1.1, 1.5, 2000000 whatever that number is, wherever you live. You know, it's just something that's way above the market value of everyone else because you have a high income. We're talking about investing in real estate and that isn't necessarily your primary residence. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which hopefully a lot of people have as well. And they talk about assets versus liabilities, which I wholeheartedly agree. An asset puts money in your pocket. A liability takes money out of your pocket. And your home that you live in, if you own it, if you rent it, you know anything that is taking money out of your pocket, that would be considered liability. So the house that I live in, it has money coming out of my pocket. So it's a liability. So it's definitely not an asset. So I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Yeah. I mean, in theory, technically it is an asset, right? It has a value. You're building equity and you have a liability attached to it, which is a mortgage or your note on it. The equity that sits in there though, is unused dead money. This doesn't mean that everyone should immediately go out, sell their homes and rent. And I actually think in order to retire, you have to have a paid off home. You can't go into retirement with debt. So at some point it's a necessary evil to own a home, to build the equity and eventually have a home paid off. That's not the argument I want to make. I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm clear. You're not going to invest in real estate by buying a primary residence, especially one that you have to overextend on. Buy something in your budget, buy something that fits for you guys, that's comfortable. And then if you want to truly invest in real estate, then everything as Dustin has mentioned is exactly the way to start doing it. One thing I want to add as more of like an advanced strategy Because I've owned my own home for many, many years, I have equity built up, paid down the mortgage and all that sort of stuff. An advanced strategy that I built my business even faster was I literally refinanced and pulled, like you mentioned, Ryan, the dead equity that's sitting there. Yeah, it is absolutely dead equity. It's just sitting there unless you pull it out. Now, what I literally did was I cashed out the equity out of my property. I think I pulled out like $80,000 and I bought rental properties with it. So that increase in mortgage payment, let's say it was like $300 a month. I bought one property that covered that. And then I bought three more properties that brought me in another $250 each for the property. So I was up $750 by pulling out that money. Now, like I said, that's an advanced strategy. You're going to have you know a little more leverage on your own property. And that's something I teach my students. It's absolutely fantastic when you can use equity in your home for investing. The other side of it though, is that is riskier to do, right? Because you know, you're putting leverage on your own home and you just have to be careful doing those, but it is dead money and being able to access and use it for the better is I think an interesting decision that could work. I don't know if it's good for everyone. The planner in me is like really hesitant to say like, that's cool. (laughs) Personally, I think it's cool, but I know that most people would take it and go like, oh, I just refinanced 80K out of my house. And granted, Dustin's younger. Like you guys don't know Dustin yet. You'll get introduced to him as the show goes live, but Dustin's not 65. He's not ready to full on retire in the traditional sense. That's not Dustin. So what works for his situation might not work for you. But if let's say you're at the similar mindset, similar age, similar risk tolerance and risk profile, it could work for you. Sorry, just the planner in me has to always come back and say. Oh, I I, I fully, fully appreciate that. And your audience, they definitely need to understand that that is absolutely an advanced strategy that somebody has a lot more risk tolerance that has the ability to bounce back if something did happen. So completely wholeheartedly agree with that. That's why I was trying to make sure that everybody knew this is what I did and it really helped me. So yes, I'm right there with you, Ryan. Yeah. And there's stuff that I've done that I say, Hey, this is what I've done. And it, 
it could have gone horribly wrong and it could have gone beautifully well. You know, I was lucky it came out on the well than the, the wrong side, but it doesn't mean it's right for everyone. Dustin, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't believe we've already been chatting for this long. It feels like we just started. You're amazing. How can people find out more about you, what you're doing, the school, all that great stuff that you have going on? Oh, thanks, Ryan. So yeah, I have my website, masterpassiveincome.com. I started that because as I was quitting my job and building my business, I had so many people asking me, hey, how did you do it? And so anyways, long story short, I started masterpassiveincome.com and started blogging there, writing books and things like that. Then last year, I started a podcast, which it's Master Passive Income Podcast, where I talk solely about rental properties and how to do that business. So if you want to find me, go to masterpassiveincome.com. You can also go to Master Passive Income Podcast and find that as well. But um, go ahead and reach out to me there. And I'd love to chat with you guys and help you guys out as much as possible. Well, thank you again for being on. And yeah, if you guys have any interest in learning more about real estate, I know we do a lot of stuff on the show and we have some good stuff coming up, but reach out to Dustin as well because he's just killing it in the space and it's always fun to hang out and chat with you, man. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site xrayvision.com titled The Least Valuable Dollar. In it, the author discusses a really unique and I think really undiscussed subject, and he's talking about the money that we lose at the end of each year due to taxes. Even if you're in a tax-free state, we still lose a significant amount of each dollar that we earn. And the author is talking about the least valuable dollar that we earned. He wonders why physicians would force themselves to work more and become dangerously close to burnout when he or she could possibly not even keep the majority of the money that they're earning. And I'm in total agreement with those thoughts. Money is not everything. You may be able to justify running yourself into the ground for a whole dollar. However, when there isn't a whole dollar there, there is no more justification for running yourself into the ground. And maybe you might be wasting your time and time is our most precious resource. A physician needs to protect his or her physical and mental health even when a profit is involved. And as a physician, you should remember that good health is everything. And I quote, by working longer hours as well as more weeks in the year than is typical for my specialty, I never gave myself a chance to decompress and recharge my batteries. It was an express train that I had boarded and its destination was the land of physician burnout. And I love that analogy of just thinking about how he describes the express train that he was on and how it was taking him to burnout, which reminds me of so many other physicians out there. He also talks about a couple of my other favorite subjects like fire and his path to financial independence. He discusses as he gets closer to financial independence, his goal of chasing those diminishing dollars is really taking a back seat and just the analogies that he's using are just excellent. In my experience, I see so many physicians working really long hours, more weeks than necessary during the year and really refusing to take time to enjoy their lives. One of my goals as a financial life planner is to encourage all of you to live your life in a holistic and balanced manner that benefits you physically, mentally, and emotionally. So X-Ray Vision, thank you so much for this article. It's a different way of thinking at it. And I'm definitely going to link this to this uh, article in the show notes at financialresidency.com.
Well, that was a really great episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed the Journal Club, but also the interview with Dustin. Before we jump into the five takeaways, make sure to check out Dustin's course on real estate investing. I've gone through the majority of it, and I really like the content presented. Check it out at financialresidency.com slash REI. All right, so here's the five things that I think you need to take away. Dustin's whole goal was to stop working for someone else and be financially independent. And he explains how he achieved that goal. Real estate was the easiest one and had the most longevity. And I didn't have to have an overhead of employees and things like that, which now I have property managers, which I don't have to worry about them because they're contractors Mm -hmm. basically. But anyways, I was doing so many different types of businesses, investing in stocks and even tried gold and all that stuff. And the easiest one for me was real estate rental properties. Number two, he explains that there's a lot of work in setting up your business. The easy part is just buying the property. In doing it, I've developed a system that really, as I implement it into my business, I realize that there's a lot of work in the setup. And the easiest part of this business is buying the property. Anybody can just find a seller, go up to them, hey, I want to buy the property, buy it for however much they're asking, maybe try to talk them down a little bit, and then try to fix it up, get a property manager and put a tenant in there. Number three, Dustin explains how setting up the business is a lot of work. And as we've said before, but it doesn't have to be that hard. I did everything wrong. I even bought properties. I was like, I way overpaid on properties. I bought properties that I actually had to update the entire electrical system because the county code said electricity is off for over a year because this was a vacant property back in like 2010, you know, all the foreclosures and everything. So I bought the property. The county came in there and did an inspection, said, hey, it's not up to code. Number four, when choosing someone to work with, Dustin says he likes to get a good read, quote unquote, on their personality and he asks them if he thinks he can work with this person for the next 10 years. Here's how he explains it. Can you actually work with them well? That's a big question. Other questions that really come up is how they actually run the property management business. I'll give you just a broad overview. There are some specific questions that you can ask or that you should ask, but the broad overview is how do you handle tenants? Number five, he tells us about free software that really helps you managing properties. It's called Cozy, C-O-Z-Y. So if you go to the website is Cozy.co, not C-O-M, but Cozy.co. It's a free property management software, handles all the background checks, handles basically all the income and expenses, all that sort of stuff. It's really, really good. So one of my favorite parts of the show are community updates. And I recently talked to one of our members and she had mentioned that she'd like to do some type of financial residency community meetup. I think that's such a cool idea. I'm actually really excited to meet up with anyone that would be interested in getting together. So more details to follow, but if you're in the, let's say Southern California area, I'm located in San Diego. So not sure where we're gonna do it, but if you have an interest in meeting up, stay tuned. I'll look for a time in the calendar that works, but let's shoot for maybe sometime in June. If you aren't subscribed to the email list, which is how I think I'm going to communicate this message out, make sure you subscribe by going to financialresidency.com slash subscribe. It's probably beneficial for you to get on the mailing list anyway, even if you don't live in the area. So you can find out kind of all the fun stuff that's going on behind the scenes and what's coming out for the rest of the year. Lots of things are actually coming. So check out financialresidency.com slash subscribe and get on the email list today. I really want you all to become superstars with 
tons of financial knowledge, but I don't want you to take direct advice from me on the show. Use this as an educational tool that provides general knowledge. I only give advice to clients who I actually work with that I know a lot about, and I'm guessing you're not one of them. Honestly, I don't think you should take advice from anyone who doesn't know you and your situation. If you're looking for advisor to help you walk throughout your journey, go to physicianwealthservices.com and we can definitely talk about it. Until then, talk to your legal, tax, or your financial advisor to obtain specific advice. By the way, we talk about so many different aspects on the show, like student loan repayments, taxes, and other means to create a sustainable financial life. But there's no guarantee of future results based on the actions that you hear in this show. So again, it's important to talk to somebody who does know you and your financial situation. Next week, we have a really fun show planned with our special guest, Bethany Bayless. She's hilarious. You're going to love it. So have a great week. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.